Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Dane Brugler and our producer Kent Garrison. Big week for Dane uh, the last few days here. Uh, the uh, the beast went out not that long ago. Everyone hopefully by now has uh, had a chance to check that out. Dane's incredible draft guide. Just really the best, not just the best draft guide I think you'll find out there, but really one of the best collections of football information you can get anywhere all year it's just incredible every time well worth it if you uh, haven't picked up a subscription yet beast is only available with a subscription to the athletics you can go to theathletic.com we're still running our 90 day free trial check us out for 90 days free and decide if you like us you get the draft guide with that hopefully you'll uh, stick around once things i'm hoping in 90 days we're a little closer to normal but uh, you can check that out with the 90-day free trial or go to theathletic.com slash prospects to pros for 40% off. And then uh, what we'll be talking about today, Dane's uh, seven-round, 255-pick mock draft dropped. How long does that take you to put together? Uh, a couple weeks, you know, because I, <laughs> if, if you're going to do this, I think you have to do it right. And it's not just, okay, well, the Raiders need a corner, so who's my next corner? Okay, boom. And, you know, I think it's more try to follow the breadcrumbs. You know, you you look at it, well in past years because I've been doing this the last few years. You know, you look at the thirty visits, you look at the workouts, you look at you know wh- who are the connections that you're hearing, you know, all the rumors, all the gossip, uh, the draft buzz. But this year has been a lot different with none of that stuff happening. And so it's face, trying to track FaceTime calls and, you know, leaning on, uh, people in the league that, you know, just what you're hearing and just the random stuff. So this year was a little different. And it's funny. This was actually supposed to drop last week, Thursday, Friday. And then freaking Bill O'Brien has to make a trade. <laughs> and it, <laughs> I, it's funny because I was, I was texting someone about it and I'm like, I just need to get this out because I just, before a trade, before I said before Clowney signs somewhere or, you know, another move happens. And then I get a text a couple hours later from that same guy and he just said, Welp. And I was like, my heart just dropped. I'm like, Oh no, what happened? And, and that's when the Texans, uh, I traded for Brandon Cooks and I had, I think I had the Texans going Jalen Rager at number 40. And, you know, I was like, well, I can't, I can't do that. I, I, I don't think they're going to, you know, essentially use the 57th pick for Brandon Cooks and then draft another smaller, speedy receiver at 40. So I, you know, and, and that's the thing with a seven round mock, you change one thing. It's a domino effect and it's, you have to change this and this. And I, I changed probably 25 picks. Uh, before I was uh, all said and done. So it stretched over the weekend, finally went up yesterday on Monday. Very happy to get that out of there. And, you know, of course, uh, not everyone's, not everyone loves it. Some people think their team did great, but, and I also at the bottom of the mock, I also included the team by team halls, just so it's easier for people to see what your team got instead of, you know, going through every single pick or just trying to do it that way. Uh, And so it's interesting to go team by team and look at, the totality of what a team did in the course of the draft. And, you know, not every need is uh, met at all times. You know, sometimes uh, it just doesn't work out that way, but that's how the real draft is. You know, it doesn't, if if the real draft happened like chalk and exactly how we thought that it wouldn't be any fun, you know? And so that, that's, that's my favorite response to people that say, no way this happens. Well, my response to that is when's the last time you watched the actual draft and it happened exactly the way you thought, you know, like that's, that's not the, the nature of the draft. It's, it's so fluid. It, things change. There's always surprises. And so, you know, it's important to keep an open mind with these 
types of scenarios. Um, you know, the, the final mock, that's, that's more for accuracy. These, these mocks right now, it's just interesting scenarios about how things could play out. And so I don't know. Did you have any takeaways from the mock as a whole? <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I, I remember doing, I used to do three rounders for Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated. I never got to seven rounds, but I always would be a little nervous whenever I'd post it. And then the fans of a team would be like, oh, that's, you nailed it. That's exactly, <laughs> I was like, well, I missed something. I'm not, because they're not right. going to follow the exact plan. But yeah, I mean, it is, it, it is cool for fans, I think, to go see uh, how it all played out. I, I tweeted it out to the Lions fan base, enjoyed the picks. I think it seemed like that was, uh, pretty on the ball i mean it was interesting to just sort of see a lot of these guys that we're talking about like i I was curious to see how the offensive tackles were going to fall you've got tristan Wirfs as the first one going forward but then you have makai becton as the second one off the board and i was curious to see where you'd have you know like cj henderson and some of these guys but i you know i really like i like these extended mocks because we spend so much time talking about the first round that it's kind of cool to see how like you said all the dominoes kind of fall to because uh, I mean, you get into even into round three, round four, round five. There's still names that we've talked about a ton on this show uh, right. that are going to be, you know, playmakers in this league. And just looking at guys that you have kind of spotlighted in those rounds, like Kenny Willickus, Tane Muti, like these are guys in round five that are probably going to be contributors in the NFL. So I think that that's that's one of the cool features here and. Like I said, speaking from experience, I know that it was the biggest thing in doing these mocks was just how much it helped me like figure out what teams needed and sort of where right. the roster holes were. And so I think that that's, you know, it, for even for fans like looking at this and like you said, the picks are all grouped by team at the bottom. So you can kind of see every, every pick that you made for those teams, but it gives you an idea for, you know, you look at the what teams did in rounds one through three, especially, and that, that gives you an idea for where it seems some of the roster holes are. And I think that's that's still useful this time of the off season. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I would agree with that when, when talking about it's, a, it's an undertaking, there's no question. And it takes a lot of time, but it's, it's beneficial, you know, just for me, for my purposes of having a good sense of where each team picks, having a good sense of where, you know, the different directions they could go, how the board could fall to them. And it's also interesting. It's one thing to lay out, you know, your top 20 receivers, but then it's another when you actually try to slot them out and you see, you know, oh, wait, you know, I, I think this receiver is a third round pick. You know, Devin Duvernay, I think he, he could go in the third round, but I just I don't have any room for him. You know, it just is a position like receiver that's so loaded. You know, it's one thing to say he's a third round player, but it's another when you actually mock it out and you see that, oh, I'm just I'm out of spots because not you know, only so many teams are going to take a receiver in, uh, you know, the top 100 picks. You know, you might have. 13, 14, 15, maybe 16 teams take a receiver in the top 100, but it's not going to be 20, 25. And that's how many receivers have at least a shot to go in the top 100 picks this year. So it's a little crazy. Um, And when you see who falls and it's, you know, and that's, I get a response like, well, you know, why did this guy fall this far? And I say, well, I mean, look at who went in front of him. Like, it's kind of just, it's tough to find a spot where it's like, you know, he's, he's going to go that early and, so it, it is interesting when, you know, we talk about a player as a, a third rounder or a fourth rounder for all, uh, for most of the process. But then when you actually put it on paper and try to project these guys, uh, you realize, well, maybe more of a fifth rounder because there's just, you know, you, you guys get pushed down when you actually uh, list out 
uh, the other positions. So I, I, I did want to make sure I got some specialists in there. I think I had five specialists. I, say, yeah, I saw the long snapper, saw yep, a couple place kickers, couple, yeah, two kickers, two punters, uh, a long snapper. Um, uh, you're welcome, Miami Dolphins, for your long snapper. <laughs> so that I couldn't forget about them. Since you you do uh, obviously have a more uh, of a lean towards the Lions, what would you think about what Detroit did? Uh, yeah, I mean, you we had sort of talked briefly, uh, just exchanged texts before this went up about sort of you know which directions they might go, and I think um, you know when I tweeted it out, I kind of mentioned that. Like Jeff Okuda, I think we've sort of been connecting those dots. Jonathan Taylor was an interesting one in round two, but I think especially if the Lions get an extra pick, running back or wide receiver, a playmaker up there makes sense. I I was pretty interested by the day three haul because I think a lot of those names are, are names that I've had kind of penciled in for them. Like Jonah Jackson was a senior bowl guy. You know, he, he makes a lot of sense with their run scheme. Uh, Anthony Gordon, senior bowl, Braden Mann, like, they got one of the punters, so um, that was how I noticed that one. Yeah, I mean, I think that that one was uh, – I think they'd be pretty happy with the haul they got there. I, I don't know that they're – well, I haven't read the comments. Maybe there are. I'm sure there are some complaints, <laughs> but I, I don't know that there'd be a ton of complaints. I don't know how deep you go. I know you respond to a lot of comments, so I, I try. Give you, I, try. I give you credit for that because I even – our comment sections are pretty tame compared to most places, and I still – get pretty wary about diving in there. So I give you credit for being in there as much as you are, but are there, have you noticed any fan bases that were particularly upset with this mock? Trying to think, I, you know, some, I think it's more nitpicking than anything. I, I think I've heard more from maybe some college fans, you know, like, Oh, no way this guy falls that far or Quintez Cephas from Wisconsin. No way he falls to the seventh. Well, I mean, when you run a four, seven at the combine, sometimes, no, that's what happens. Uh, you know, maybe he would go in the fifth, but you know, it's he's not going to have as many suitors as if he ran a four four. That's just kind of how the draft works. You know, I, I think Miami, Miami's so interesting because they have I think what fourteen picks. So you know, they're not going to pick fourteen times, but you know, they're they're, they're going to trade, they're going to move around. That's just that's just how it's going to happen. But it is interesting when you have to pick that many players for one team. I mean, it's almost like you're drafting a full full squad and so hearing from Miami fans about how they would do it maybe a little bit differently has been interesting Colts fans Jordan Love since they don't have a first round pick I have Jordan Love fall into them in the second round which and I did not do any trades in this it's hard enough to do something like this I couldn't even imagine trying to introduce you know a few trades in there so did not do any trades and Jordan Love I have Jordan Love going to the Colts at the 34th pick second pick in the second round I think there's probably a better chance he goes in the first. Maybe a team like the Colts would trade up into the 20s to get Jordan Love. But, you know, because I didn't do any trades, he was still there at 34. You get Michael Pittman uh, with that second uh, second round pick, Adam Troutman uh, in the third. And so I, I think Indianapolis, uh, I think their fans were pretty happy with that. Um, I think the receivers, the order of those you know, that they were coming off the board, there's some questions about that. Uh, like the... Uh, the 49ers at 13, um, would they take rugs or would they take Judy? Who, who would, who would be a better fit for what, what Coach Shanahan wants to do? I think that was something that created a lot of debate. I think the Eagles taking Kenneth Murray at 21. Uh, they haven't drafted a linebacker since 1979 in the first round. So, uh, you know, I talking to Eagles people, they, they say no way. I say they're due, uh, to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my argument. Um, 
And they and they've addressed the defense in a big way. At, I think every single level, uh, Javon Hargrave and Darius Slay in the, in the secondary. So you know they the linebacker spots the one uh, one spot they really haven't addressed yet, and they could do that here with uh, if Murray or even a Patrick Queen's available. So you know I, I think it's important to look at draft trends and what teams have done in the past. But I don't necessarily think you know like Dave Gettleman hasn't drafted an offensive tackle in the first round, but you know he I don't necessarily think that means he's not going to draft one of four so draft trends matter but at the same time i think it's you know important to note that it's what what makes the most sense and you know is there a a, a reason behind just he's never done it behind or you know the doll or the, the the eagles haven't done a draft a linebacker first round since 1979 is that a philosophical thing is that just it just hasn't worked out that way if, they, if they've been stacked at that position and they hadn't had to address a uh, linebacker. So I think it's important to look at the reasoning behind it and not just say, well, it hasn't happened, so it's not going to. How do you go 41 years without drafting a linebacker in the first round? That's yeah, crazy. Kind of crazy. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, we well, mentioned a couple guys. I want to get into, you know, the top of the draft and sort of how that, that forces the dominoes. But you mentioned a couple of guys that I had uh, sort of circled that I wanted to ask you about. Um, and one is, Adam Troutman, who you've been talking up for a while. You've got him 75, as you mentioned, to the Colts. And we were talking just about the Detroit draft, and that was one of those names. And I think a lot of teams and a lot of uh, you know beat writers covering teams are asking the question right now, like, what at what point do you look at a guy like Adam Troutman and say, all right, well, we've got this, – this team has a number one tight end or even a number one and two, but just the value on this guy and what the upside might be uh, – Maybe you jump on him there, and because, like I said, it was you know looking at Detroit at sixty-seven, you've got Justin Majibuke from Texas A&M, and that makes a lot more sense with their needs. You know, they need a an interior guy, but when you get in around three, are you going to have? I mean, I guess at what point do you just someone takes Adam Troutman because you're looking at the board and like, well, this guy shouldn't be here anymore. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see where that first tight end comes off the board. You know, there there are some people in the league that think that a tight end will be taken in the top 50 picks, whether that's, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe a team like, I mean, it, it's, but it's hard to find a spot because, you know, you thought maybe the Falcons, but then they traded uh, with the Ravens for a uh, former first round pick. Uh, then they, you you look at a team like Chicago, but they signed Jimmy Graham. Indianapolis picks a 44. That's a possibility. But I, I think they, you know, the, the, the Colts, there's a good chance that one of those tight ends will be available for the Colts uh, in this in the third round. So it's a hard, it's a tough, it's tough to find a landing spot for one of those tight ends top fifty, even at the top sixty. Um, and so, do we even see a tight end in the first two rounds? And then if we don't, then things get really interesting in the early third because, like you said, value starts to really creep in there. And Cole Komet from Notre Dame and uh, with Adam Troutman from Dayton, both those players, uh, you know, I don't know that either belong in the top fifty. But I don't think either of them belong, you know, like outside the top 70. So that, I think that would be interesting for several of these teams. And, you know, and it, it could be a, a situation where we see a surprise, a team like Kansas City. Wouldn't be shocked at all if they drafted a tight end. Uh, they don't have a ton of depth behind Kelsey. And, you know, we could see them maybe run a few more 
12 personnel or, you know, two tight end sets, or, you know, maybe you just put Kelsey in a slot or things like that. Uh, and they get uh, another tight end to add to that offense. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that, and that's true with all these positions, not, not just tight end. The safeties, uh, were one of those positions for me because I didn't have a safety going in the first round. And then I had a run on them in the second round because you're talking about Xavier McKinney, uh, Jeremy Chin, Grant Delpit, Duggar, uh, from Lenore Ryan, uh, Antoine Winfield. Uh, Ashton Davis. So that's what, six safeties? And are all six going to go in the second round? Probably not. So that means one, maybe two would fall to the third round if that's how it works, if we don't see a safety in the top 32 picks. So that, that uh, goes down to kind of what you're saying that at some point uh, in the third round, there's just going to be, you know, really good value at a position that might not be an obvious need. But when you, you know, teams will stay true to their board and, uh, you could say this, maybe the same thing with these quarterbacks, Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason. I had a tough time trying to slot those two guys um, because I think they're not going to be for everybody. There's only going to be so many teams that are uh, interested. And I don't think the Bucks. you know, I, I think Tampa Bay is just the perfect spot for Jacob Eason, but they're, I don't think they're going to draft him in the second round. I think they see that as a sweet spot for, you know, a running back or another position where they can help this year's team, help Tom Brady. But if he's still around in the third, different discussion. But would, would Easton last that long? Uh, same thing with Jake Fromm. Um, you know, Jake Fromm's not going to be for everybody, but for the right team, he could be in that second round. I think the Colts, if they don't get Jordan Love, I think the Colts at 44 would be a perfect spot for uh, Jake Fromm. Uh, but if they get J- uh, Jordan Love, uh, what other team makes the most sense? Um, you know, could he fall to the third round? So yeah, there's a lot of uh, a couple of these positions where we're going to see a run and then, uh, you know, a little bit of a gap. And then we're going to see a few guys fall. That's, that's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Uh, corner, right, receiver, um, and maybe even some of these running backs, uh, because it's just tough to find landing spots for them. Um, so it, it is going to be interesting to see where some of these guys fall. Jordan Love was the other one that I wanted to hit on before we got into the top 10 because you've got him in your draft guide. You've got him as the number four quarterback and then. You got him with a round one, two grade, and then there's a gap until those other guys in round three, you know, from Eason, Jalen Hurts. And it sort of played out like that in the mock where uh, Indianapolis, it's actually Indianapolis's first pick, right? Uh, because they traded for DeForest Buckner. So they, you know, used the number 34 on Love in your mock, put him in behind uh, Philip Rivers, Jacoby Brissett, let him develop a little bit. Uh, and then there's a gap. There's 42 picks, I think, until the next quarterback goes off the board, which is Jacob Eason to Tampa Bay. So is there that steep of a drop off in your mind? I know you're just talking about maybe there being a run uh, later on, a, a little bit of a break between QB to when the next run on QBs go. But, you know, if you're taking Jordan Love at, at 34 or you're taking, uh, let's see, you got Jalen Hurts at 80 to Las Vegas. Is there that wide of a gap between, you know, what the development timeline is on those guys? Yeah, and I think it comes down to, yeah, development time. I think it comes down to risk um, and just the the the, the reward. Uh, you know, with Jordan Love, I think there's less risk compared to a Jacob Eason. Uh, and I also think there's more reward with a Jordan Love compared to a Jacob Eason. Um, and I think we have to remember, too, that, you know, it's – if a team needs a quarterback, it's not like they're going to have grades on all these guys. And it's like, okay, Jordan loves off the board. So we'll just go to our next guy uh, or, you know, we'll go to Jacob Beeson or Jake Fromm or, you know, it's a lot of these teams, they might have two quarterbacks on their draft board and that's it. 
And, you know, that's, that's, that's all the, the only two quarterbacks they really believe in in this class. And so if they get snatched up, well, then they're not going to draft a quarterback. Um, and it's just tough to find these obvious landing spots for them in, in the second round. Um, and with, with Easton, like I said, Tampa Bay makes a ton of sense, but, uh, I, I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, you know, I, even a team like, you know, Pittsburgh would make some sense. Uh, but it's their first pick. They don't have a first round pick this year, uh, from the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. So, you know, would they really use their uh, their first pick, which isn't until, uh, you know, in, in the mid-second round, 49 overall, would they use that on, uh, you know, a Jacob Eason or, or one of these guys as a, a someone to sit and develop behind uh, Ben Roethlisberger? I, you know, I have a tough time seeing that. You can't rule it out, but I, it would be it would be a surprise, I think, if it happened. Um, and but then besides that, you have to look at, uh, you know, what other, what other team makes the most sense? A lot of, a lot of these teams answered their quarterback need or, or addressed it at least in the offseason. You know, Tennessee not going to draft a quarterback in the second round with what they, the contract they gave to Ryan Tannehill. Um, you know, you look at, uh, you know, Indianapolis as a team that took care of quarterback for this season, but they're looking for someone to develop. And I think that's why Jordan Love is the perfect, uh, perfect landing spot. And I, I, someone mentioned how, you know, Jordan Love, how, you know, free fall was th- thought he could be a top 10 pick. Now he's going early second round. I mean, to that, I would just say, who cares? Like, honestly, if Jordan Love goes in the late first uh, or the early second, I don't, that's not what he should be concerned about. He should be concerned about who drafts him because if he goes in the first to a team that is not well run, that doesn't have a great organization, that's not willing to develop him at his own pace, then he might be out of the league in four years. Where if he goes to a team like Indianapolis, which I think has a great infrastructure, uh, both with the coaching staff, the front office, and uh, just how they do things, I, you know, that's that's going to be a much better situation for him. And in the long run, that, that's what's going to matter more so than being drafted, uh, you know, with the 20th pick or the 34th pick. So these quarterbacks are tough when you try to figure out where they're going to go. And, you know, I think Oakland's interesting. They're kind of a wild card because they could potentially go with one of these guys early. Um, I have them going Jalen Hurts in the third. Um, but, you know, could they potentially go with, uh, you know, but they don't have a second round pick either. So it, it makes it tough. It's uh, basically this is uh, my way of saying that the quarterbacks, it's, it's anybody's guess. All right, so I said I wanted to get to the top of the mock. Uh, I, I feel like we probably need to spend a little bit of time there. And you've got Burrow one, you've got Chase Young two, so no curveballs there. No real curveball at three either, Jeff Okuda to Detroit. And then you have the Giants taking Tristan Wirfs. It seems like a lot of people, because of the Dave Gettleman uh, factor there, are expecting uh, an offensive tackle at that spot. But it kind of goes back to you know what I was saying when uh, we were discussing – you know, just the, the doing these mocks and the layout of them, you know, it feels almost obvious that Detroit would target Jeff Okuda and that the Giants might target, you know, an offensive tackle and Miami at five thinking quarterback, the Chargers at six, maybe thinking quarterback. Is there a wild card team for you in here? Like, could you see the Lions trading back and taking a tackle or the Giants taking Isaiah Simmons or something like what's the what's the scenario that really throws the top 10 into chaos? I think Simmons at four is possible for sure. Um, I just, I think with Gettleman, who were his first two first round picks with the Giants? Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. Um, And in order for those two players to thrive, 
he needs an offensive line. And so not only for those two players to thrive, but for Dave Gettleman to look like he knows what he's doing and he picked the right guys, he needs to uh, help out those two picks by drafting an offensive lineman. So that's, that's kind of my thinking why it just makes too much sense. Um, not to mention that, you know, these tackles are worthy of that spot. Um, and so I, I think that a tackle at four makes, makes more the most sense, but Isaiah Simmons, could he be that, you know, that difference maker that they've been looking for on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, maybe uh, he might love them. And that's the thing. We just don't know. We're, we're kind of on the outside looking in guessing. Uh, do you think we're going to see a trade? I, that's, that's kind of the biggest wild card that I think would throw a wrench in this whole thing is if, uh, you know, if, we, if the Chargers or the Dolphins were to trade up to three and uh, if they were going up for Tua, how that would shake things up. You know, maybe Detroit still gets Okuda uh, if the, in a trade back scenario, or maybe they have to go to plan B, which, you know, is that Simmons? Is that Derek Brown? Could it be an offensive tackle? Um I, the biggest wild card is just we don't know how these teams view Tua's medicals. That's the thing. We just don't know. And it's tough because it, it doesn't matter if you think he's a top five talent. All that matters is what the doctors say. Do the doctors say that he is going – that, you know, what's the injury risk? Is it 50-50? Is it, you know, 20% chance that he, he's going to stay healthy? I mean, what, what do the doctors say? They have to put a grade on uh, to his body, his past injuries, uh, the the likelihood of him getting hurt again. I mean, it, it's hard to do, but that's why you have a medical staff uh, on your payroll is to help you out with these decisions. And with Tua, it's it, this is it's tough. And I don't I don't remember a decision this tough in, in a while. Um, you know, maybe you know Jalen Smith uh, out of Notre Dame when he was coming out, he still went early second round. Um, Tua is supposedly fully healthy right now. But it's more about just the longevity and, you know, is he going to be able to take care of his body? And, uh, you know, is a team willing to trade up for that? So I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to say. Uh, if the Lions did trade back, say, say the Chargers moved up to three to get Tua, um, and Detroit is now at six. So, and let's say, so who would, so I guess Okuda would still be there probably. And do you think that's the direction they would go if, in a trade back scenario? I think so. I mean, they're they're tough because I feel that you just sort of look back at their draft picks, especially since Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia have been together, and they've been it, it's hasn't necessarily been curveballs, but it's been guys that you know they're kind of lay low on them. And even the Hawkinson one, like that made sense. You could connect the dots there, but it wasn't a guy that they were necessarily like all over through the process. And they took Frank Ragnow and uh, Jelani Tavai was a surprise pick. So I I've been like. It's just sort of the trick this draft process plays on you is because it's so long. You get to a point where you're like, well, here's, I guess this, there's this other thing they could do. And so I have been <laughs> kind of playing around with the thought of them, you know, you trade back to six or seven or wherever, and then maybe you take an offensive tackle. There's some really good offensive tackles. Taylor Decker's on one, got one year left. So like, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like they could be a, a wild card team. I'm Simmons is the one to me that. Just because it's he's such a different prospect, it's hard to say. Well, this team needs a safety, right. so they should take Isaiah right. Simmons, you know. And uh, you've got him to Carolina and Derek Brown, the other one too. And I, not to make it all about Detroit, but you know, I've heard from a lot of Lions fans when you talk about trading back to six or seven, you say, well, Okuda makes sense, Derek Brown makes sense, and the pushback on Derek Brown is that you know we he looks like he's going to be a really really good NFL player, super disruptive, athletic. But you don't know if the pass rush is going to be there. So does that put? Can you take a top ten defensive tackle who's not going to 
rush the passer a lot for you. I mean, I think that that's uh, part of the discussion on him too. I mean, uh, like I said, you've got him eight to Arizona. You've got him number seven overall on your big board in your draft guy, the number one defensive tackle. Do you think he's, I mean, is he a top five, top 10 pick based on talent or is this just sort of how the board fell? Yeah, and I, you know, I think you bring up a, a very worthy uh, question about uh, an interior. You know, Aaron Donald, someone like Aaron Donald, there's no question he's worthy of a top 10 pick because of that pass rush value. A guy like Derek Brown, who is still very, very important to what you were going to do on your defensive line. Um, you know, that's – but it's a question mark because if he's going to average, say, four and a half, five sacks a year, is that – is that worth it? And, you know, he's his presence helps everybody else in that defensive line. But I think it's easier to find those guys later on in the draft. Uh, you know, talking about your your nose tackles, your guys that are taking up space, occupying blocks, things like that, um, as opposed to guys that are getting after the quarterback. So I think it's a it's a it's a fair thing to talk about. Um, and that's why wouldn't be surprised if there are some teams that have Javon Kinlaw um, rated higher than Derek Brown, because I think Kinlaw has a little more juice to him, a little more as a pass rusher. Um, as long as, you know, you're comfortable with Kinlaw's uh, medical stuff and just, you know, that he's going to reach his full potential, which is by no means a sure thing. So uh, I, I think that's fair. And I, I think you bring up a great point with Isaiah Simmons as well. He's just, he's a different player and not everybody's going to be all gung ho about him uh, because he is different. Um, some some teams prefer players that have a defined role, and you understand exactly what he's going to be doing. Or you know maybe you just don't trust your defensive coordinator to utilize him in the correct way, and you don't want it to be a wasted pick. So I think that's absolutely fair. Um, I, I think I think that's the beauty of this top ten is first of all the quarterbacks. Um, you know Joe Burrow's going one, but then Justin Herbert and Tua. Is it going to be chalk and they're going to go five six like most of us think? Where most of us have projected, or are we going to see a curveball, whether that's a trade, whether that's one of these two uh, quarterbacks, likely Tua because of the injuries, could he fall a little bit? And if he does fall, you know, if Tua falls past six, where does he go? You know, the Raiders? Yeah, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah. Right. With the Raiders, possibly, you know, with the Jags, I know they're, they're, they're going to give uh, Minshew, you know, a chance to prove he's the guy, but. I, I, at what point is it just like, okay, we can't pass on him here. It, it's tough. It, when you go through the teams, you know, Tampa Bay is not going to draft a quarterback. I mean, they, they see their window to win now. Uh, at least I don't think they're going to. That's uh, everything I've been told is they're, they're winning now, uh, or they're going to be in that position to win now. Um, it's, it'd be a, it'd be interesting. Uh, cause I don't know. Would New England, you know, make a move to go get to, uh, at some point? So I think it's a, it'd be an interesting discussion. So yeah, the top 10. The quarterbacks, what's going to happen at 5-6, I think. And then Isaiah Simmons, he's a wild card. Because I think you could see Isaiah you could see Isaiah Simmons going anywhere between 3 and 10. Like, you could make a case that he could go any one of those spots. Uh, and he'd be, you know, because he's just so different uh, and so unique with what he offers. And so he is a wild card uh, when you're trying to slot him in the top 10. And then we're, we always have some type of surprise. You know, CJ Henderson made my top 10 in, in this latest mock. I don't, I don't know if that's counts as a surprise or not. Um, but I do think that he's higher rated than I think uh, a lot of people give him credit, but I mean, he has a chance to go top 10. Um, so at the, this top 10 is going to be interesting. I don't think it's going to be necessarily uh, chalk like we've seen maybe in some past years. Do the Jaguars need to have a conversation about Tua if he slides to that point? Yeah, I think that's I think it's interesting. Um 
because again, yeah, they they want to give Minshew a shot to be the guy, but if if their medicals come back clean or you know they're they're more comfortable with Tua than another team, then yeah, I mean you you're really going to pass on him. It, that's tough. And the more he falls, the more doubt comes in your it goes in your mind because you're thinking, oh wow, all these other teams are passing like their doctors found something or they're they're two is so talented but they're not comfortable drafting them maybe we shouldn't you know it's it's you have to have conviction and it's hard to have conviction about medical information that's all of us that's over all of our heads we can have conviction about what we see on the tape what we see when we talk to the player and just have a feeling about a guy we can have conviction about that but when the medicals come into play that's where we're relying on secondhand information and going based off of what what is recommended and different opinions. And so it's it's a lot tougher. Um, and so when t- 10 teams pass on Tua, uh, you know, is that something that is you know going to affect your decision making as a as a general manager? So it's if he gets out of the top six, I think it'll be fascinating to watch the, the Tua uh, slide, you know, just how far does it go and, and where he ends up. Yeah, we've obviously seen this before with some really good quarterbacks that uh, linger around, sure. not just for a handful of picks, but you know, late into day one, even into day two. So, yeah, that that we've been talking about it all at least since the injury for sure, but for a while now, and so that'll be interesting for definitely to watch, see what happens there. You've got uh, Makai Beckton sort of setting off an offensive, kind of a mixed offensive tackle wide receiver run uh, from ten through. Um, Really about 15, uh, you have Jerry Judy at 15, and then Ruggs at 13, C.D. Lamb at 12. Um, I, I kind of like some of these fits later on, like J- Jacksonville getting uh, Kinlaw at 20. Feels like a steal. Uh, Marlon Davidson at 23. That's a guy we haven't talked about a ton, but he's uh, you've got him as your number three defensive tackle in this draft, defensive lineman in this draft, and uh, that fit in that New England scheme seems to make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I like the – Josh Uche to Seattle, Zach Bond to Baltimore, back to back at twenty seven, twenty eight. You have any uh, any picks in the first, second round that really felt right to you? That I mean, I know you were trying to get all these right, but that felt like uh, natural, like you didn't have to think too much about them. Yeah, I think a lot of these, uh, and that's honestly with a mock like this, my goal is to be able to defend every single pick. You know, I. I I can give you a reason why I did this. And in the first round, a team that's really interesting that I think we're going to watch is at Denver at 15. I think they really want one of these receivers. And I think they had their eye on one of them. And I wouldn't be surprised if they even traded up a little bit to go get him. I could see Denver trading up to 10 with the Browns and the Browns trading back and still getting their tackle. I think that's that's a possibility. But it, I, the question would be, who, who is that receiver they're going after? Is it Judy? You know, is it Lamb? Uh, I, I think that that's a really interesting thing to watch is the Broncos because I think they have someone specific in mind. Dallas, Dallas was tough because again, Calavion Chase on CJ Henderson, that's who I've said the last few weeks. I think number one and number two on their draft board. If those guys are gone, then I think they go to the Alabama secondary and it's, you know, Diggs or Xavier McKinney. Uh, but you know, that Dallas is a little tougher when those first two options are off the board. Um, AJ Terrell has a lot of fans around the NFL. Um, and you look at the Raiders, that Clemson pipeline, I had, I had the Raiders going with three Clemson players in this draft and I, I didn't really mean it for to happen, but you look at what they did last year. They drafted three Clemson players. I think it happened again, uh, this year. Uh, it's definitely possible. 
Um, you mentioned Marlon Davidson and the Patriots. I, I think, yeah, that makes sense. Some teams look see him as a jumbo defensive end. Some teams see him as a more natural three technique. I think Bill Belichick just sees it as a guy that can be disruptive. And, you know, he can play inside, play outside, do different things. He's smart. He's he's quick. He's a very active player that will appeal to a player or to a coach like Bill Belichick. Um, I think Patrick Queen uh, played his high school ball in Louisiana, uh, played his college ball in Louisiana. New Orleans uh, keeps him uh, in Louisiana for his pro ball uh, pro ball uh, at 24. I think that'd be a natural fit as well. Um, and then Green Bay at 30. They're interesting because they're traditionally they're a team. They drafted one receiver in the first round since 1989. Um, traditionally, they're a team, a, a organization that drafts a receiver in the second round, third round. Um, but at what point? Do they just say, well, we just can't pass on this guy here? You know, whether it's Justin Jefferson or, you know, whichever receiver, you know, Brandon Ayuk could be that guy. Whoever is the top receiver on their board, um, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction they went and kind of bucked the trend a little bit because it's just, there's too much value there. Um, I think one of my favorite picks in this whole draft is Michael Pittman into the Colts. Uh, he's that power forward they're looking for opposite T.Y. Hilton. Um, and not to mention, you know, the on-field stuff obviously fits, but so does the character. He's a big special teams guy, team captain. That's exactly what Chris Ballard is looking for um, at uh, at that pick. So I think that would make plenty of sense as well. I know you got to make the rounds. Uh, everyone wants a little bit of the Dane Brugler knowledge this week, so I don't <laughs> want to keep you too long. But uh, just to finish out, because it's a really interesting kind of side note here to the draft and, and the rest of the offseason is what's going to happen with all this these XFL guys now that that league yeah. has closed up shop and you have the Giants taking Kenny Robinson uh, free mm-hmm. safety with you know that's the designation it's not a school it's the <laughs> XFL at 110 yeah. um, I wonder if you could just you know fill people in a little bit on him because I'm sure there are people who read through this and didn't even realize that there was an XFL guy who could get drafted in this this year right yeah most of XFL players uh, can be signed right now by NFL teams. Robinson's the one exception. He's part of this draft class. Uh, He should be a junior right now at West Virginia, uh, but he left the program. Well, actually, he was uh, suspended, academic issues, looked to transfer, didn't like his options, went to the XFL, played this year for St. Louis, and... Um, you know, he is eligible for this draft and uh, I think he's, he's worthy of somewhere in the mid rounds. Um, and so he will be the first XFL player, uh, drafted in the NFL draft. And so it's just a really interesting scenario. And we were, we talked about would we see it more and more. Um, but now with the XFL kind of, uh, up in the air, they're not going to play in 21, 2021. Could they potentially come back in the future? Maybe. Um, but so we'll have to, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but it looks like for now, uh, Kenny Robinson from uh, formerly of West Virginia and now formerly of the XFL could be the first and maybe the only XFL draft pick uh, in the NFL draft. That's yeah, uh, just one more of those storylines to keep an eye on. This is going to be a lot of fun. We're closing in just a little more than a week left until the draft. So make sure again, get over, check out Dane's draft guide, download it, print it off. If you've got 200 pieces of paper uh in the printer fired up um it's incredible like i said just a great resource to have uh leading into the draft coming out of the draft throughout the off season uh you can still get our 90-day free trial by going to theathletic.com you can still get 40 percent off by going to theathletic.com slash prospects to pros and that gets you access to everything including the draft guide which is only available with a subscription the mock draft 
is up right now. It sounds like there's one more coming next week before the yeah. the draft is going. One. So yeah, uh, so you can get that too. Um, lot tons of coverage across our entire network of, for every individual team, and then the draft as a whole. So make sure you click through and uh, read as much of it as possible. But especially Dane's draft stuff as we head into next week, and uh, we'll be back. One more time before the draft to sort of tee things up and and get some final thoughts, and we'll do that next week. So for Dane Brugler and Kent Garrison, I'm Chris Burke. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.